you missed it live. Catch the broadcast on Kaya959.co.za. There is currently talk of people saying that maybe coal exports from South Africa should be stopped. They're talking about closing down Richards Bay Coal Terminal because they feel like that is part of the issue that we faced with, which I guess then contributes to us having load shedding in the country. Nothing could be further from the truth. But you don't have to take my word for it. We're going to have a discussion over the next two and a half hours about this. We're also going to be joined by Mike Tech, a CEO of Seriti, uh, and they're one of the largest suppliers of coal to ESCOM, uh, and Justin Jay, one of the largest suppliers domestically and also internationally. Uh, he'll join us at about 4 o'clock. Right now, though, we're joined by Bears because the coal supply chain consists of three things. I suppose it'll be mining, mm. it'll be processing, and then transports and logistics. And in the transports and logistics side, that's where Bears comes in. Oh, okay. um, I must note, he's actually a very good friend of mine. But besides that, a very successful business person, has a fleet of over 120 trucks, uh, and is the correct person to speak to because he started his business working within the ESCOM model and then has since branched out uh, and, and done things. Thank you very much for joining us on the show, Bears. I am well, I'm well. Thank you very much. Um, Look, there's a lot of discussions going on right now. uh, And maybe if you can just start off by telling us about your business specifically, uh, because I know you're also in the coal tanker space, you guys transport fuel. But tell us a little bit just about MCAF. Okay. Look, uh, actually, we... Uh, MCAV started actually as a graphics company some years ago. I've been into logistics for the past 17 years. Mm. Uh, I've been transporting coal, I'm transporting fuel into SADC, I'm doing short liners as well. Mm. So I've been in the space of coal for the past, uh, the biggest space where I spent a lot of my time just on the space of transporting coal. Yes. So, yeah, I think I know a bit of in and out of, of coal. Mm. Uh, exactly what's happening in the industry. Okay. So essentially, when people speak about the coal price, and this is something we're going to get into with Mike as well, and you're welcome to join us on that discussion also uh, after the hour, four o'clock. We speak about the landed price, which is all those three things, the cost of mining, the cost of processing, and the cost of transportation. And then you get it to the destination, which would either be a power plant or if you're doing exports, then at the port, right? Okay. I agree with you. So, yes. Now, look, you first thing first. Yes. Uh, the co- the export market has always been there. Yes. That's the thing that you need to get to try. We need to, to, remind, yes. to remember. Cold ma- uh, the export market has always been there. Uh, there's local market. Yes. Uh, for all the years that I've been in this way, there's a, uh, the local market has been taking a low-spec coal. Yes. And the export market is being the uh, uh, high-grade uh, uh, coal, you understand, for all the years. Yes. So when coming to, 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 to the pricing, it also differs. That's something that uh, South Africa needs to know. Yes. So uh, uh, it's got nothing, uh, to my understanding, the export, it was there, it's always been there, and it's still going to be there. Yes. For the, for the sake of, uh, uh, when you mine this, uh, when you're mining the coal, you don't get it from the, uh, the, the, the uh, it doesn't come out as the same coal as you, uh, people see as a, a black coal uh, or something like that. Yes. You need to know the difference and you need to have a different price for each and every, uh, each and every coal. Okay. So we'll get into the different specs of coal once we've got the miner on the line and he can give us more clarity on that. But, for example, on transport, if somebody comes to you and they go, Bears, I'd like you to transport coal for me, how do you quote them? 
Look, you, you, uh, you first thing, uh, a good business, uh, if you're looking for a good business, it must be a long-distance one. Yeah. Local one, uh, it's just to sustain your business. Yes. Uh, local market, uh, uh, short distance, it's just to sustain your business. A long-distance one, it will, it will make good business sense. Yes. And, and uh, for all the years, uh, 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 we've been su- uh, supplying uh, power stations that are put over 200, 300 kilometers away from the mine. Yes. It's more or less the same distance that you are traveling currently from now, from uh, Peter to to Richards Bay. It's more or less the same. Yeah. It doesn't change that much. Yes. And so you charge people, when you quote them, you quote them per ton per kilometer. Am I correct? Yeah, you, you quote them actually on a kilometer per ton as well. Uh, 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 you're correct. Okay, and each truck can take how many tons? Look, uh, the, the, the 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 normal truck can take between thirty thirty thirty. It depends on the on the brand that you are using. Can take between thirty four and thirty six tons. Okay, uh, but there's a, on the market currently, I think people have seen there's a new uh, 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 trailers that have been introduced, which are called abnormal trailers, which can take up to fifty tons. Okay, now is it not true though that if you overload a truck? then the wear and tear on the road is also higher. And that's why there's always weigh bridges where they try and weigh the trucks to see if it's overloaded or not. Uh, You are right when you say when you overload the tire. That's why if you look on all, almost 80% of the route that we're using, there's always been a a, a, a weigh bridge or traffic of that are taking us off the road to go weigh a bridge. And secondly, to, uh, as a good transporter, you must comply with the laws of, of, of South Africa where you need to, there's certain inspection, a certain certificate that you must have. For, for example, RTMS, who are telling us and uh, teaching us about the, the road, how do, you, how do you load your truck, how do you behave on the road, and all those kind of things, so actually. So it is true when you look at it from far, you might think that uh, we're, not, uh, we're not governed by, by laws when mm. we are transporting coal. But we are governed and we are following those, uh, those laws to, to keep up with the road. Okay. Just hold it right there because I'm going to go to traffic right now, coincidentally. But we're joined on the line by Bears, uh, the owner of MCAF, uh, and their transporter in South Africa uh, for coal and also just uh, the international markets. If you've got any questions, you can give us a shout, 86 This is part of our discussion about the coal supply chain. We'll also be speaking to Mike Decker from the hour 4 o'clock onwards on the mining side. We're having an interview with Bears, who's a logistics operator. He owns a company called MCAF. Uh, and you are telling us basically how it works in the coal transportation business. Now, Bears, as of late, we've seen a lot of trucks causing accidents on the road. We've also seen some videos of drivers driving recklessly. So essentially, before you hire a driver, what happens, what training must they go through, and what certifications do they need to possess? Uh, look, uh, since, uh, each and every company has got its own policy and, and rules. Mm-hmm. And they follow. But the one of the common rules that we, 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 we always use is the experience. Mm. Uh, we, secondly, we take them to, before you can even give them that contract that you say we must start waiting for you, you need to take them through uh, some defensive driving inductions, advanced, uh, advanced driving, uh, medical, you know, there's quite some few things that you can see that is healthy. You need to take them through uh, some medical uh, advance and, you know, just to get, a, to, get to, to the bottom of the driver and understand what's, what's happening with the, yes. with, 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 with the, with the driver. You understand? Yes. So uh, before you can... Do, remember, we as, as transporters, we invest a lot of money into 
into into our uh, into purchasing the truck, into making sure that it's our effort. Yes, you understand. That we must make sure that our effort is well is uh, well looked after as well, and and we put a lot of measures as well to just to secure to make sure that they behave. Yes, uh, one of the common things that we also use is uh, uh, we put drive cams. Drive cams. We we we, we, we put a tracker there to monitor their speed. We put drive cams to be monitor their behavior as well. You understand? Yes. So. I understand accident is an accident, but, you know, we try our best as well to avoid those kind of accidents. It can be a human error, uh, but most of the time we, 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 we're trying our almost best that we, we avoid those accidents. Yes. So when you speak, for example, of an average truck, maybe if you can tell us the average cost of a side tipper truck and the average cost of a fuel tanker, which will carry about 40,000 liters. And the reason I'm asking that is because you mentioned how it's your own asset and you've got a vested interest in making sure that asset is taken care of. So just so we can understand uh, the tune of investment that goes into a business like this. Look, the cheapest truck that you can get, the good cheapest truck that you can get is sitting at about 1.8. The most expensive is sitting at about 3 million. Mm. Just, a, just, a, just a, the truck, excluding the trailer. Mm. You understand? The trailer is sitting between 750 to, uh, to, uh, to 900. Mm. You understand? It depends what are you put, what majors are you adding on, your, on your trailer. When it comes to fuel, fuel is the most expensive one. Mm. You understand? It's the most expensive one because the tank alone is sitting at about 2.5 million, excluding the horse. You understand? Mm. Mm. So uh, the rig, we call it a rig when it's a complete unit. Uh, it's, it will cost you around uh, five million, mm. five million plus. You understand? So I don't think anyone can just go jump into this and buy it and not look after it. You understand? Mm. And don't do something about it. Yeah. And so then, would that be the reason why there are so few black transporters to speak of, whereas there's quite a lot of white transporters because of the barrier to entry and the financial aspects of it? You are right. Is what you. Well, bringing that one up is very scary, the numbers, actually. If you look at it on a normal road, on a normal, what we did we, uh, some a year, two years ago, we did a research on this. On a normal day on the road, we have about 360,000 trucks. Mm. On a normal day, which mm. uh, if you go to all the department, that, uh, that was, it was a research that it was done some years, uh, two, three years ago before COVID. Mm. And, and, and you ask yourself how many are, Black-owned, it's a scary number. We don't have to go into this. I don't think we do politics today, but we don't have to go into it. But it's very scary. It's very scary. Give us an indication. We don't have to go deep. Just give us an indication. Look, uh, uh, black-owned is less than 10,000. Okay. So essentially less than... The last time when we did it was sitting at 360 plus. Mm. Okay. So basically less than 3% of those trucks are black-owned. Okay, no, thank you very much. Uh, Stay on the line. We'll carry on with this discussion in the next hour. Uh, There's a lot that's happening right now. And of course, as you can hear, uh, yeah, look, the discussion is going to be interesting to say the least. You can give us a shout, 086-00-0959. When you come back, we'll also be joined by CEO of Sariti, uh, Mr. Mike Teke. And Bears will stay with us as well in case you've got any other questions for him. There's never been a better time to have this conversation. And usually, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. In fact, it's what we encourage. We always want people to come in and comment and tell us what they think and what their views are. But what's important is that you must be accurately informed about what it is happening over there, right? Sometimes you do find, especially with matters like this, that people misinform the public so that they can use it for their own political ends. Uh, and that's enough for me to decide. 
All we can do is we can just get you the right people to speak to, probe and ask the questions, and then you can make up your own mind regarding what it is happening. Last week, we had a discussion about the energy crisis in the country. And so I think we've got a clear understanding of what's happening at ESCOM. Today, we're having a discussion about the coal supply chain, uh, which, as I mentioned in the last hour, consists of really just three parts, which would be mining, processing, and then it would be transports and logistics. We join on the line now by CEO of Sariti Resources, Mike Teke. If you've got any questions for him, you can give us a shout. 086-00-00959. Mr. Teke, thank you very much for making time for us. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thank you very much and good afternoon. Uh, I'll start off with a voice note that came from one of our listeners and then we can get the discussion going. Sure. Hello, team. Um, just a question. Way back when I still worked for procurement, I was introduced to different grades of coal. And I stand to be corrected. This was a while back. Um, I think you have grade A that is more expensive. So my reason is, is the breakdowns or all these breakdowns that ESCOM is experiencing, isn't it maybe because of the quality of the coal they are using or coal is coal is coal? I'm just asking out of interest here. I can answer the question. Uh, yes, coal does come in different grades. Um, so essentially, from the mining process, uh, you get various seams of coal, right? So let's say you've got a four-seam product, which will be pretty much at the very top. Uh, if you were mining, that would be what you'd hit first. Uh, then you could have a three-seam product, which then goes on to two-seam and one-seam. And the further down underground you go, the better your quality of coal becomes. Uh, as you will have heard in our conversation with the Dylan Chaveling last week, the type of coal that ESCOM uses, for example, uh, is not necessarily export-grade quality. Uh, it will vary and it will range from 19 CV to 21 CV. Uh, and the coal that gets exported, well, that's between 4.8. Uh, it's called 4.8 because it's 4,800 kcal, or RB3, RB2, RB1. We've got Mike Teke back on the line now, uh, and I think I'll let him take over. But yes, so that is essentially where we are. In the meantime, you can give us a call, uh, 086-00-00959, and let us know what your thoughts are. It's quite unfortunate because with everything that happens, uh, then sometimes I suppose what will let you down will be, I don't know, load shedding. Because we are being load shedding. Yes, yes, yes. That is is, uh, exactly what it is. Anyway, I'll get back to Mr. Teke while we get him back on the line. But Bears is still here with us. Uh, and on the issue of different coal grades, Bears, right? Um, because obviously each grade, the lower the grade of coal, the cheaper it is. Uh, do you find that people who are willing to pay more for transportation costs based on the grade of coal that it is they're transporting? Uh, look, uh, when the cheaper, the grade that is being all the years used at... Uh at uh, at Eskom, it wouldn't make sense for you to transport it to the harbor, which means after you have mined your co- the uh, mining cost plus transport, it wouldn't make sense that you must take your coal and take it to to the harbor. Mm. That's why I think the all all the years they just kept that uh, lower grade coal into into local into local relevant mm. to the point of to the Eskom market. Mm. And so then, let's say, for example, somebody is then transporting high-grade coal. Is it also not true that you are then 
at risk of that coal getting stolen somewhere along the line because it is valuable, right? So if you're talking RB1, for example, at its peak, you were talking about a product that was maybe moving at about 2,100 rand a ton. And as you mentioned earlier on, you're carrying about 34 tons of it in each truck. So, again, uh, uh, it's where the importance of uh, a good transport has come in. Yes. You know, as you remember a few minutes ago, I did mention that we invest a lot into our safety of the driver as well. Mm. That same safety is also working to the owner of the product. Mm. You understand? And there's, uh, 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 so, we invest, uh, as I said, there's tracker. So, when you're transporting somebody's good call, they always have access to your, to your tracker. They always have access to your cameras. Yeah, you understand. And as well, there's security. Yes, there is that those loopholes that uh, some 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 human beings try to steal and whatsoever. But you know, it's uh, it it depends on the transporter. If you're a small transporter that you don't invest into your into your into your craft, it will catch up with you, which means you'll be in trouble with the owner of the of the of the code. You understand? But if you're a big transporter or you you know what you're doing. It's easy to, you know, in the last 17 years, I can even come live on. I say in the last 17 years, I've never experienced a cold theft in my operation. Mm. And so this issue of cold theft, is this something that's new or has it always been existing in the industry? Look, it, it became, it's always been there, but I think it became more popular with the, with the, with the, with the, with the export market currently being the popular thing, you understand? Mm. Yeah, so I think people just saw an opportunity and started uh, looking at it, you understand, and say, look, there's a, a gap, let's try, let's take advantage. But you must know who, who are you operating with. You can't just take everyone that's got owning a truck, you don't know where, where this yard, you don't know what this has been doing for the last two years, you just give him a call, expensive call to transport. Definitely it will catch up with you. Mm. And the people that are now, um, for example, in charge or the people that are uh, the culprits for this theft of coal do you know them is it a syndicate uh, how does that work look uh, if i can take you a bit back uh, and remember all along we had there was uh, i think there's this thing called yeah and there's this thing called side Yes. All the years when they were trying to avoid, I think they were trying to avoid this long queues on the road. They had the uh, transit introduced siding where the mine, uh, you know, uh, they'll put a siding next to them uh, to the mine where you don't travel more than fifty kilometers, so that there wouldn't be a lot of trucks on the on the road. Mm. But because of the collapse of the transit, you understand. So along those uh, siding, people started opening their own yards. Mm. You understand when they were supposed to go offload the siding. A transnet siding, they will rather take, they will uh, rather uh, they will take the coal to to those uh, a yard where they're stealing coal. You mm. understand? Mm. So I think it's where the gap came in. But now because of uh, when uh, when the the, the the siding was stopped and we concentrated too much on the long route, which is uh, Richards Bay, Maputo, and Devon. Yes, I was expecting that thing to 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 lower down. But because of the price of the coal, they also find their way into it as well. Mm. Okay, no, thank you very much. Uh, joined on the line by Bears uh, from MCAF, one of the logistics transporters uh, in coal. And then also on the line, uh, CEO of Sariti Resources, Mr. Mike Tieke. Earlier on, we couldn't get him. The line was uh, uh, letting us down. But I think we finally do have him now. Thank you very much for joining us on the show, Mr. Tieke. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, the question you ask is coal comes in different grades. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you clearly, sir. Yeah. So coal comes in different grades. It's true. Okay? Yes. People call coal, they talk about 
a great, big, great, big, great, but there is then other, another language where people use RB1, RB2, Richard Bay, as you know, RB1, RB2, and they talk about the coal quality. Yes. And the, the, high quality of, the highest quality of coal that you will mine, and some of them work on calorific values and the like, or energy, then that coal will be exported to the international market. Yes. That export market has existed for years. And yeah. RBCT and other terminals have exported coal. Yes. The coal that goes to ESCOM would normally be the highest will be a, a coal fired power station like power station like Anot is the one that takes a twenty three point four CV, yes. which is the highest of all the power stations. That coal is dedicated to those power stations. It will go to those power stations. However, yes, there were times where you came across people who blended some low quality coal and sold it to certain markets. But predominantly, the coal that we have for the power stations, we have it is enough, and there are power stations, there are mines that are dedicated to certain power stations that will never, and they don't, export coal. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to have you for the duration of this hour so you can go more in-depth about the processing of coal because now you're talking about blending, which are very technical in uh, languages, uh, and maybe majority of the listeners will not be able to understand what we're talking about. But when we come back from this traffic report, uh, I'd like you to please just tell us essentially what goes into uh, mining coal and processing, and then we'll take it from there. Right. Join on the line by Mike Deke, CEO of Sariti Resources. If you've got any questions, give us a shout, 086-00-0959. Also on the line, Bears uh, from MCAF, and he's into coal logistics. So if you've got any questions for him as well, do the same. We join on the line by CEO of Sariti Resources, Mr. Mike Deke. Uh, speaking about the coal supply chain, uh, we also join on the line by Bears from MCAF, uh, and they are into coal logistics, amongst other things. Uh, Mr. Decker, before we went to the ad break and traffic, uh, you were then going to tell us what goes into coal extraction, mining, processing, and then obviously logistics. How does that work? Well, what happens is that when we mine coal, there are different methods of mining coal. One, there's coal that we mine from underground mines. Yes. We use a continuous miner and uh, we go underground and there are mines in South Africa that are mining coal underground, right? Yes. That coal comes out and we can mine coal open cast, depending on the depth of that of a, of a specific mine. In an open cast mine, either you use small machines or you can use a drag line to expose the coal. Yes. And the drag line will expose that coal. And then we talk about the coal that sits on the ground after being mined. It's called raw runoff mine. Yes. That's raw coal. That's the coal that's taken into plants, either for you screen that coal, you crush that coal or there's what we call gravity separation or dense media process in terms of separating the coal and separating that from that coal and making sure that you mix the coal to produce the quality that you want to produce. Yes. And at the end of the day, you produce the quality of coal that you want to produce, either for an export market, it's a specific product, maybe 6,000 kilocal or something like that, to the CV is very high, the calorific value, or you produce a lower quality of coal that will make sure that you take care of calorific value, sulfur, ash content, and the like. That's based on your washing, your plant. And at the end of the day, you may produce something else called a middling, which you sell as well, and uh, you can sell it into the market. So the coal that goes into the export market will predominantly be the high, high quality coal. Yes. And it's actually the price that we're talking about. 
Now, pricing of export coal is priced on the basis of an index called API 4. Yes. In Australia, they're talking about API 2. Those indexes, they're the ones that govern the coal prices internationally. In South Africa, the coal that goes to ESCOM, every power station, you will be given a specification. This is the spec of what you want on at this power station. Yes. And you'll wash the coal, you'll mine, produce ROM, and wash it to the specification that that specific power station burns. Yes. You must make sure that you stick to that envelope, that coal quality. Yes. And that's what is banned by every power station. So the coal that goes to the export market will continue to go to the export market. We don't need it for the power station. Then let's move to the next category. Well, before then, we so, so before we move on, I've just got a question. So in order to become an ESCOM supplier, if I say I want to sell coal to ESCOM, what is the procedure for something like that? Well, there are different types of contracts. You know, one of the important things where you need to appreciate is the fact that the reason we have 15 coal-fired power stations, and we've got 13 of those, uh, how many? We've got 12 of those coal-fired power stations. We've got two in the Waterberg, one in the Val, and 12 in the Mpumalanga area. It's because they were built closer to the fuel. In other words, here's the ore body. This is where the coal is, and these are the coal qualities from a geological testing and point of view. Therefore, we build a power station here. Yes. Now, the power station then will contract the mine next door and say, you will deliver coal to my power station by by conveyor. But you must remember, when you burn coal, coal doesn't come back and you can't store coal. Therefore, these mines, some of them are old, and they reach a stage where the ore body runs out. So what happens, ESCOM then will go out to the market with a tender and source more coal from the market. Yes. Those who've got mines in different places will then commit to that envelope and deliver the coal by truck or by train to that power station. So it depends where your mine is, what quality you have, and you've tendered and there is a price that they talk about as ESCOM. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so it's not true that anybody can just wake up and then deliver coal to ESCOM as and when they want, because sometimes... The problem is is this. What qualities are you going to deliver to this power station? Yes. Now, if you were to deliver a high calorific value type of coal and the ash content is wrong and the sulfur is wrong, the reason, let me give it one power station. In a power station, one power station can be identified that this area, from an environmental point of view, the emissions, the tests have come out of that. There's high sulfur coming out of there. Yes. You are bound to be forced to produce or burn the coal that plays within that envelope. In other words, either 19 CV, the calorific value, that it is, ash content, sulfur, uh, the moisture, and all those things. You yes. work within that confine. Yes. Yes. And so now this is where it gets pretty technical when you go into, I guess, the chemistry of it. Because you mentioned uh, a term, blending. What is blending now? So normally, there are situations where people would mine a high-spec product and take a low-spec product somewhere and blend it to produce a specific envelope, a specific coal quality that is required somewhere. So essentially, it's like mixing mixing ORAS with water. You take the concentrate... And then you just dumb it down a little bit until it gets well, to a desired sweetness. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about liquids that change the color and you drink it with sugar. <laughs> That's different altogether. We're talking about cold qualities here. And we're talking about 
uh, energy levels, uh, uh, juice, uh, uh, juice that um, per kilogram. Yes. So it is imperative that whatever you get from one mine or from one area and take the other one and you put it together in a plant and you produce that, it's because you are responding to a specific requirement. But okay. you must remember these power stations as well have got different types of contracts. Yes. There are contracts which are very long-term and those are cost-plus mines where ESCOM, the power station, the mine is dedicated to ESCOM. You cannot export any, even a single ton out of that mine. That mine mines the coal dedicated to that specific power station. Then there are power stations which have contracts, but a specific mine will have to honor the contract and still export. But the coal that's exported is not going to the power station because it will destroy the boiler. Oh, so high quality coal is actually not good for ESCOM boilers? Well, maybe we can try it near you. <laughs> I'd rather not. But just hold that thought because when we come back, I want to get into the issue of uh, penalties, for example. You mentioned that everybody who delivers coal has to meet a certain specification. What happens if you fail to meet that specification? Well, there are agreements. You sign a contract, you sign an agreement with ESCOM, and there are penalties related to the non- non-delivery of either qualities and quantities. We'll get into that after this because we need to go to uh, news in the meantime. We'll join on the line by Mr. Mike Teke, CEO of Sariti Resources. Also got bears on the logistics side. We're having a discussion uh, about the coal supply chain. Joined on the line by CEO of Sariti Resources, Mr. Mike Teke. Uh, and before we went to sports, uh, you were telling us about the different parameters of coal that needs to be delivered. Uh, so you mentioned calorific value. You mentioned sulfur. You mentioned moisture. Uh, I didn't ash hear you. Content. Yes, ash content, volatiles, etc., and so on. So, if now I happen to miss one or more of these parameters, what are the repercussions? Well, as I say to you, there are different contracts that ESCOM enter into with the suppliers, with the coal suppliers or coal miners. Yes. And in that contract, you will have clauses that deal with penalties. And there are different types of penalties. Either you commit to deliver or ESCOM produces the price they have to pay to you or they don't, and you end up not being paid because you did not deliver the coal that you had to deliver. Mm. Yeah. And so we've got a question here on Twitter. Somebody's asking, why is it that we build power stations in South Africa that can only accommodate lower quality coal? Was it a matter of saving costs? And if so, what's the downside to that? Um, so when they speak of coal, well, sorry, unit breakdown, uh, what is the cause of that, in your opinion, as somebody who supplies ESCOM? Well, uh, I supply the coal, yes, but one of the things that you take cognizance of, one, the coal, these coal-fired power stations, most of them are old power stations, very yes. old. Yes. And uh, they've reached probably, some of them are more than 40, some of them are more than 50 years. And those power stations need to be either refurbished or you build new ones. Mm. And uh, in ensuring that you have a fire station, a, fire, a coal-fired power station firing properly, you need to make sure that obviously you supply the proper quantities of coal, and the power station is good, it's still in good operating condition. So at this point in time, I think most of these power stations are very old. And you must remember there was a time when some of the power stations were going to be closed down yes. because operate Komati. Uh, Camden and Hotley were going to be closed down simply because they are very old and Henry now was added on that list. Actually, it was five. Now, the challenge you're sitting with, you cannot quickly close those coal-fired power stations and lose those megawatts without 
replacing those megawatts either with green energy that is renewable, whether solar, wind, and the like. So yes. I believe as a country, we have not moved in a synchronized fashion as to saying one for one. If a power station was 2,000 megawatts, if we close it, let's replace it with 2,000 megawatts of solar or wind. I don't think we've done well in terms of that exercise. And we all have to take, I, I think we must take responsibility in ensuring that that route is revisited aggressively and we address it immediately. Mr. Teke, at the risk of getting political, um, we have heard of a just transition in the country uh, yes. where we are being encouraged to move away from fossil fuels. Um, and this was a move that was mostly perpetuated by the West, and we understand because, you know, of the environmental impact that carbon-based, uh, I guess, uh, uh, power, uh, power stations uh, will have. Do you feel like that is the wise thing to do, considering we've got this natural resource in abundance, uh, as you put it? You know, for me, when where I sit, I'm not an, an climate denialist. Let me mm. be clear. I believe climate change is happening. I believe that we have to transition. But the way we transition is important. We can't shut down our 15 coal for 16, actually, because Kelvin is a power station that's not owned by ESCOM. Uh, it's operated privately. Mm. So it's 16. And then there are other smaller ones. We can't be reckless and shut down the power station and then not make sure that the synchronization of replacing that energy that we lose as a result of closing those power stations is lost. Mm. It is imperative that as we progress, it's either one, we close one power station as an example, I gave you Hendrina, or I gave you Camden, uh, and say if we lose 2,500 megawatts, we are ready to replace that 2,500. But we can't close the power station and then say we don't have the megawatts to replace because we need the electrons mm. in the grid. Secondly, to upgrade the grid and make sure that the grid is going to work now with coal-fired power stations and new forms of energy. I'm talking about wind, I'm talking about solar and the like. Yes. Number three, yes, it is imperative, and you're right, you don't want to be political here. In Europe, when, cold, when, when, when the war started in Ukraine, all of a sudden they realized that they were facing challenges with gas and the like, and Russia was putting them at risk. What did they do? They went back to the coal-fired power stations and reopened them, and they were buying a lot of coal from us in South Africa. We have coal in abundance, let's exploit it, but let's understand that there are other ways. And I know there are people who are highly educated, who are who, who raise the controversy around carbon capture, utilization, and sequestration. Yes. We've never tried that. Let's take one coal-fired passage and see that this technology works. In other countries, it has worked, where we capture carbon. We don't mm. want to revisit those things, but the... The fact of the matter is, I don't want us to run away from coal as quick as possible, as, as, as all that, because we have it in abundance. In the water bag, the coal that's there will still be there for the coming hundred years. And we only have two coal-fired power stations there, Matimba and the UDP. Mm. And so then maybe let's move over now to the economics of this discussion, right? Because you've spoken about the technical aspects of it. Uh, and will combine uh, with what Bears has told us as well when it comes to transportation and logistics. The issue of TFR inefficiencies, right? Uh, we've yeah. spoken about it over the last year and a half about how it's costing mining companies. Uh, you mentioned that ideally you want to be able to deliver coal via conveyor belts, but then based uh, on the distance and et cetera and so on, you then may want to pivot over to either a trucking system or rail, rail being the cheapest. 
when rail is taken out of the equation because of unavailability of trains, what kind of effect does that have on the coal supply chain? So, a perfect coal supply chain is this. You will have coal that is supplied to a conveyor because the mine is next to the power station. We call that mine to mouth, right? Yes. Where the mine produces the coal, puts it on the conveyor, and it goes across to the power station. But because, as I said earlier, mines run out of life, they get depleted, they become older. Then some of the mines that are opened up are a bit further away from the power station. Trucks come in and they deliver the coal to this power station. Mm. But the most important part, Transnet comes into the picture with export coal. So the Richard Stakehold Terminal has capacity, nameplate capacity of 91 million tons. 91 million tons. Mm. The highest we've ever exported is around 77, 78. The last time in 2021, we exported 58, simply because we don't have rail to take the coal to the port. Mm. So we are saying the constraint to work with Transnet and assist Transnet so that we can ramp up. We could have taken advantage of the coal prices when the coal prices reached around $441 a ton mm. in October. Mm. When that price was so high, we could have exported up to 70, 80 million tons. We ended up with 58 million tons. So that's the constraint we faced with Transnet. Mm. Internally in the country, there are power stations that can still use trucks, conveyor, and the train. It's how we make sure that we align these three forms of logistics in delivering coal to different power stations. Mm. Mm. Yes. Uh, we join on the line by CEO of Sariti Resources, Mr. Mike Teke. We've also got bears from NCAF, uh, and they are into logistics of coal supply. Uh, we've got some voice notes. Maybe let's take one and find out what you guys want to know. I think you have a very powerful man there in the name of uh, Mike Decker. Um, my, my question is one to him. I just want to know, uh, according to him, what is it that can be done for the low cheating to come to an end? So what, what is it that he thinks that it can be done to bring this low cheating um, to an end? Mr. Decker, before you answer that, let me play a second voice note and then maybe you can answer both at the same time. Hi, Sizwe. It's Antla here. Sizwe, I'm an electrical engineer. I sit with metallurgists. No coal of low grade is being passed to ESCOM. What are they saying about our metallurgists? Guys, respect metallurgists, I beg, especially the cold one, especially in South Africa. Thank you very much. Mr. Deke, uh, so the issue of load shedding as a whole, we let to believe if you listen to uh, the minister, for example, uh, both the minister of SOE, so Mr. Pravin Godan, and then the minister of energy and mining resources, uh, Mr. Godemandashe, that there is an element of sabotage at ESCOM uh, and that they do get delivered substandard coal. What is it that needs to be done in order for us to curb load shedding? Well, number one, if, if it so happens that there is substandard coal that's delivered, well, then that has to be stopped. That's number one. Uh, as I said to you, the power stations that are next to those coal-fired power stations that are supplying a conveyor, as an example, those have got a specific envelope that they have to deliver, so they deliver that. Mm-hmm. But if the substandard coal, that's they, they have to deal with that. But I believe the, 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 the engineering side of every power station, every power station we have in this country, I'd love to understand each one of those and say, what are the constraints in each one of those power stations? Do we know what's happening at Ndupi, at Matimba, at Litabo, 
at Kendall, all of those closed by a power station. What are the concerns? Why can't we? And it's a question I've asked myself as well. And I'm a citizen of South Africa. I want us to find a solution. If I were in a role like that, I would love to understand each unit at each power station. Power stations have got units, as in uh, Kendall has got six units burning every that can burn at a time. Why are we not burning six? I'm giving an example. Mm. I would love to do a diagnosis of diagnosis of each one of those. If somebody can give me that answer, I'm not closer to that because I don't run ESCO. So it's a question of coming closer to each one of those. In the mining environment, if we have a problem in a specific shaft, I tell you, we spend time in that specific shaft and we will, whether it's an open cast area, we will go in that area and spend lots of time. I'm asking myself the question and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and saying, if I had to use each one of these units, why are they not each one of them firing at the same time? If I had to five and one is there, it's maintenance. Number two is the issue of maintenance. What type of maintenance principles are we using at these power stations? Again, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm saying, can we sit in a room and say, guys, can we help? Because people like us in the mining industry, we're willing to come to the party and assist. So it's the question of being able to understand the maintenance side, the engineering side. And you're right, we will revisit the issue of code. And I will not think to defend that. I'd like to understand if there's substandard code, but from where? Stop it. But now, Mr. Dick, if you as uh, a stakeholder and a large one at that, uh, the largest one in the country when it comes to delivering to uh, ESCOM domestically. Uh, if you yourself don't have answers to those questions, can you imagine how much less the layman, right? And, and, and that gap in information is what leads us to this point because this actually does become a security issue at the end of the day. When you see yeah. people getting agitated to the point where they want to shut down perhaps a Richards Bay coal terminal, uh, and it's really because the information isn't readily available. And so then with the absence yeah. of that, they make up their own stories. And those stories may or may not be true. Another this thing is... That is why I accepted your invitation to explain the coal side of things, to explain why it is not right to go and shut coal, Richard Coal fired uh, Richard, uh, Richard Bay Coal Terminal, because that coal has nothing to do with ESCOM to a greater extent at all. Mm. I with but when it comes to running one power station from one power station to the other, the relevant people should be able to sit in front of you and say, from an engineering point of view, this is my position. From a maintenance point of view, this is a, and from a skills point of view, do I have the skills to be able to address these issues if I find them? But now this is another concern of ours, right? Because yes. it seems, at least at face value, that either the people in charge do not know what the issue is or they are lying to us. And I'll tell you why. Because numerous times we've heard that load shedding will be a thing of the past in the next however many months and years pass and that doesn't happen. So either you were not sure or you didn't accurately diagnose what the problem was or you did know and you lied to us. Yeah. It's like the question that's being asked, would you take the role as the CEO of ESCOM? It's a difficult question to answer. Mm. So maybe let's go back now to the issue of logistics, TFR, uh, and then also we'll speak about the substitution effects. Because in the absence of you being able to get coal down to Richards Bay Coal Terminal, which it would only use rail, for example, then some people opt for other options, Maiden Wharf, and they take trucks down there, or Maputo, or Beira, or uh, you name it, multi-purpose terminal, dry bulk terminal which then further causes the congestion that we've been seeing as of late. So, in our case, 
we we part of just they call terminal shareholding as the region. Mm. Our coal we mainly use trains. We rail our coal to just they call terminal. Mm. However, there are other terminals that are that that uh, that are not related to just they call terminal. And yes, coal is trucked to those terminals. So the, we've seen trucks going to just they simply because it has happened that the economics improved and the coal prices improved. Mm-hmm. dramatically. I'm talking about the API for the international coal price as in the export coal price. Yes. So people then decide that for us to take advantage of that, we're not going to be constrained by trains. What do we do? They use alternative transport, which is trucking. Mm. Yes. Oh, man. There's so many, so many questions that we need to get to. Uh, we've also got some voice notes. So now somebody's asking, for example, if a company wanted to start logistics and mining, uh, how do they get sustainable uh, contracts? And maybe I'll let Bears answer this one because oh. uh, he himself started off as an ESCOM contractor. Bears, do you want to tell us about your journey and how you started, for example, in the logistics? Uh, uh, thanks, thanks, Mr. King. Uh, look, <laughs> what a tough question. Look, uh, it, it differs with, uh, and it's also got to do with certification. Uh, what I would say is, uh, remember, those years it was easy for uh to to secure uh, when i started 17 years ago it was easier to because not uh, there was not a lot of players it was easier to secure a contract mm. uh into 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 logistics you understand mm. because there was not a lot of players and uh, uh, the market was not uh, it was still a controllable controllable market you understand mm. so uh for now it's quite difficult because the competition is high uh, uh, and there's also the gap between the big player, player players and the uh, uh, upcoming uh, logistic companies. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's also a challenge as well. Mm. So after, even if you can secure a contract, you know, the banks must come in as well to come and finance. And if you don't have any asset as a security, you don't have any asset as a to to show your dedication and understand. It's also another challenge in the in the industry. Mm. So it's a honestly to to say it's an it's easy to secure a contract and start a, and start a logistic company is not an easy thing. So you need to have a bit of uh, a bit of finance or you must be coming from a you know <laughs> sorry to say but from a, a wealthy family that they can fund you mm. or you must have someone that can find you. When we started there was a company that gave us a uh, uh, a contract, you understand, uh, which it secured everything, our payment, our work, and we worked for that company for for ten years. You understand, mm. so that's how we started. Uh, and you know, they were holding our hand. Currently, you need to, to as somebody coming from, let's say, you coming from a, you having your pension, you want to come and start up here. It's going to be a problem because you must have somebody that's going to hold your hand mm. and guide you through. You understand the the. the they uh, guide it through the road. You understand. So it's a it's a quite a, a tough question to be to tell to 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 advise someone how do you even start up. You understand. Mm. So maybe let me bring Mike into this because the issue of transformation is also not something we can gloss over. Uh, if you look at this largely untransformed industry, and in fact, before uh, Seriti bought the South Thirty Two mines, there are very few black players to speak of uh, in this space. Uh, and largely because of everything as we mentioned, you know, the, the barrier to entry, etc. and so on. Transformation. How much of a role do you think big companies such as yourself, the Xaros of the world, uh, and maybe even Escom play in, in, in making sure that the young black entrepreneur can also get a, a piece of this cake? Uh, 
So, it says, uh, let's be clear on something. I mean, you're right that we bought the assets of Ken Lopez, mm. and then we bought the assets of South 32. Mm. And we know that historically, those were big mining houses. If you spoke about Anglo-American, BHP Billiton, which later changed and then uh, purchased uh, South 32. Mm. We have transformed the industry because we are over 90% black-owned. Mm. But there is an imperative in doing something of that nature. When you run a business like, like that, you must make sure that you are competitive, you deliver value, and you have stakeholders in the form of shareholders, employees, and communities, wherever, who are ex expecting you to deliver value. You cannot say, I'm a black company, suddenly I'm going to make sure that yeah, I forget about being competitive. And what do I mean about being competitive? When I go out in terms of supply chain, I have to make sure that I look into the market in a broader spectrum. One, from a competitive point of view, and make sure that I drive transformation. I've seen great transformation stories. Great. People who've built powerful businesses who we work with and they are supplying us. We have no issues about transformation. Mm -hmm. But the issue is we must be able to be competitive and deliver. The second part you write, it comes with not only the entrepreneurial side, but on the employment side. We need to promote young people. And one of the things I'm careful of in public, uh, in, in a, on a radio like this, is not to talk about the talent we have in the business because people start coming to raid my business and recruit my people. <laughs> <laughs> because those are my those are my colleagues. We work together, and I want to keep them in sincerity. So I'm I'm proud of what we're building in sincerity. But reality of the matter, the country has got 60 million people. People are looking for opportunities. There are young entrepreneurs who are coming. We can do more. Mm. We can do more. Since Thank you very much. I think that's all the time we have for this discussion today. Uh, Mike Teke, CEO of Sariti Resources, and thank you very much for joining us as well. Bears on the line from MCAF. Uh, hopefully, you. all the answers that you were looking for, you got from this discussion. Uh, and if not, then maybe we'll try and get back to you another day whenever you do have time. You've already given us an hour. I, 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 I've never heard uh, of you having an hour free in your diary. So this, I know, I is very, very exceptional. So <laughs> we, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. If you missed Catch the broadcast on Kaya 959.co.za.